podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, good to see you on what is a, a very rainy night here in London. I imagine it might be the same with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's very similar, very grey, very dark. Not very pleasant at all, just taking the dogs out in there in quite miserable weather yet. But otherwise, I'm fine. No complaints. Um, again, we're going to start off talking about the football, but I'm looking forward to Wednesday. Enjoyed Saturday. Um, and that's, yeah, it's keeping me going while there's no snooker on. Well, I feel a bit sheepish to say that I was lucky enough to be in the England-Germany game. And I think my uh, credentials might well get me in there for the big game on Wednesday as well. It's becoming a, an obsession for the nation now, this England run, isn't it? And of course, for those of us that have seen many, many England tournaments, this is bemusing. They're not just winning games, they're winning the last one comfortably. It's almost like we're having to rub our eyes thinking there must be pitfalls down the road somewhere soon. Well, yeah, there's almost, it was a weird lack of tension, wasn't it? It was almost too easy. I'm certainly not complaining, but it didn't feel like an England game at a tournament. Yeah, that was for sure. But very enjoyable. Enjoy it while it lasts. Well, de- well, we will get onto snooker, folks, very, very soon. Denmark, of course, are a good side and they will be difficult to, to see off. But I was thinking it's different to the other tournament semi-finals I remember in my lifetime. In 1996, the Germans were pretty much favourites, I would say. Certainly in 90, probably in 96 too, even though it's at Wembley. I was thinking, would Croatia have been even Stevens in 18? I think probably a bit like that. Yeah, but I think this time you have to make England favourites. So there's a different sort of feeling about this one, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. I sort of thought maybe we, were, we had the edge in 18, maybe. But yeah, as you say, very even. But yeah, I've never gone into a semi-final watching England thinking we should be winning. So I don't know. It's a strange feeling. I almost don't like it, but I do like it at the same time. <laughs> well, we'll see. There's still lots of drama at the Euros to come. We hope you're enjoying it out there. But of course, this is a snooker podcast. Let's leave the football behind now and uh, move on to the sport we love so much. And we are delighted to say that for the very first time on Talking Snooker, we are joined by a tour referee. And it's Monica Sulkowska, who has been officiating at professional tournaments since 2014, including some of the biggest events in the game, like the UK Championship and Tour Championship. And just last year, she refereed a ranking event final for the first time at the Gibraltar Open. Monica, we're so glad you could join us. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking about the sport that we also love, as you said. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope my corny catchphrase is, is, is sort of an outcast. Okay. I think, oh, is it too much? But you don't seem to mind it. That's good. And we know that the snooker refereeing community was well represented at another great sporting event today in SW19. (laughs) That's very true. That was quite a lovely coincidence. So I know about two referees. If there were more, then maybe they would come forward. But yeah, me and Tatiana Wollaston managed to meet today at the Wimbledon grounds to watch some tennis. So yeah, so many sports in today's podcast. (laughs) Should we talk snooker, Phil, eventually? Should we get round to it? I don't know what else can we fit in here. There's been some Formula One and stuff going on. We could get squeeze some of that in. Um, Monica, like it, like nearly everybody else involved with snooker, be they fans, officials, referees, players, um, it, 
the common theme seems to be that the, the love is a lifelong one. Is that the case for you? Has snooker always been something in your life? And well, it probably will be from now on. So I don't see I don't see it changing anytime soon. But I actually have started with snooker love quite late in the days. So my dad is quite passionate pool player. So he was always explaining to me how to stand by the pool table, what the billiard sports are about. So that's how I knew what snooker as a word means in the first place. But to be fair, I started watching that quite late when I was already working. So I was in my early 20s and that's how I actually knew the game. So so it's not lifelong uh, from the beginning, but lifelong in terms of from now on. Yeah, and did you, did you ever play yourself? Did that, did, did that love develop on that side of the game as well? So I did play. The quality of that play is a completely different topic, and let's not get into that. But yes, I, I did, I did play. Uh, obviously, in 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 amateur events, I've never started playing first, and they moved to refereeing. I actually liked refereeing before I started playing. I started playing a bit, especially in like local mixed doubles, uh, a bit after. But but yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not a very good snooker player myself. That requires um, a lot more training. Yes. And, and what was the scene like in Poland? Was there was it unusual for you to be into snooker and pool over there? Yes, that was unusual. Uh, it's getting better. And also I was quite lucky that I joined the snooker community both uh, in Poland and sort of from the journalist's perspective at the time when snooker has became more popular in Poland because that was the year that we got our first professional player into the tour. That was Kacper Filipiak. So that was around that time when I started getting into the snooker and started meeting people in Poland community as well. But it's still a small community. And uh, snooker is weirdly very popular sport to watch in Poland uh, from, from like the figures on the TV numbers. But it's not that popular to play and there's not that many clubs still. But we're hoping that's going to improve. Mm. And I guess that would be a Eurosport thing, would it? Because we always hear about the numbers being so big in all parts of Europe. And I, I guess that the number of hours that Eurosport has shown has greatly increased over the years. And, and that must be a big reason for that interest. That's that's very true. I myself got into snooker because of the Eurosport coverage, obviously. And in Poland, that has been a long going. And I think that's the case with a lot of European countries that you have like little teams commentating that become a little community itself, people watching with the commentators. Mm. So in Poland, that was a big thing because the guys commentating from 20 years ago up until now, they are, they are like the light of the snooker, I would say. So people are actually also used to, to listening to them and that becomes like a tradition. So there's more and more in tournaments and people get more and more involved. But it does not have this one-to-one -one, um, sort of impact on numbers of people playing or numbers of kids trying to get into the snooker. Is, is there any way sort of around that? I don't know how you could build interest in countries like that. Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ideas of how it can be done, but obviously it's not that easy because you need an infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, I think for like the maybe increase of that, the PTC events that we've had for a couple of years, and we had an event in Poland in Gdynia, that was a that was a big thing uh, when people could have come and see live, and when the people 
playing snooker on amateur level in Poland could come and actually try in a semi-professional environment as well. So that, that was actually great. And I think that increased the numbers. But as I said, the problem is that we do just do not have that many clubs in Poland. It's in, in main cities and some of the cities that are maybe smaller, but for some reason grew into a snooker community. They do have clubs, but uh, we still are yet to, to have maybe like a countrywide sports government ministry, anything like that, programs that include snooker into, into the curriculum. So. Mm. No, I guess that can be a problem. That certainly the lack of clubs in, in so many countries. Well, it's a problem, as we know, in the UK. Um, Monica, I'm interested to know why refereeing for you? What, what was it that attracted you to it? What, what gave you that idea that, God, that looks like a really good, interesting thing to do? That's a very difficult question because uh, I started with snooker as a journalist. I was a sports journalist for, for many, many years. And I started being interested in snooker from that perspective. And with snooker, it was just at some point, it just was not enough just to watch the game. I wanted to be somewhat involved. I knew that I'm maybe not a player. And it was just a lucky coincidence that at the time when I was thinking what I can do more, there was a on our country society, uh, I would say that the governing body were putting together a refereeing course in Warsaw where I lived so I thought that well if, if I'm even if I won't become a referee from it I will at least know the rules very well so it will help my watching help my reporting and I just went for that course and it turned out that first of all I really like it second of all I have potential of not being terrible at this so I thought that let's try let's try it more and since then it was just it was just love, really. I really, really liked it. And it was a great way to participate in the game. And this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be closer to the game. So this is probably as close as I can get. And then how quickly did it go from sort of doing that and seeing what you thought to refereeing, you know, professional tournaments? In my case, that was pretty quick. I think that's purely because I was very lucky about the time when I started doing this. So I started... Uh, refereeing in amateur events in 2012, uh, both on the country uh, level and on the international level, just Europeans, the amateur ones. And then we had a tournament in 2014, which was a PTC event in Gdynia. And I was one of the referees that uh, got involved in that tournament. We, we were refereeing forward snooker. That was my first professional event, as Nick mentioned in my introduction. And so that was two years from, from one to, to another. And I just reffed more and more of those events. And thankfully enough, um, I, was, I was also lucky to be, to be invited more and more and learn from obviously the best referees in the business. And that, that turned, turned quite quickly for me. It was not always the case and like every referee's journey is, I guess, different. But for me, that was not a long time, but it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And, and do you remember your first match on television? I do remember my first match on television. I think that was 2014 as well, just at the end of the year. So the tournament in Poland was in February. And then in, I think, December, we had the Gibraltar tournament. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't actually remember if that was Portugal or Gibraltar, but one of those events 
there was also a PTC event and I was riffing there on TV for the first time. And that was one of Stephen Maguire's games. I remember that. Stephen Maguire, John Higgins. Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty good game to start with. Did, did, did that feel different doing that? Did, did you have a different feeling before, different kind of nervousness perhaps? It's always a, a different type of nervousness, I would say, uh, because that's going through the steps. So every time you get a round higher than you reft before, a tournament that is probably more severe, like sufficient, the first time you're going to get one of the triple crown events. So the first time when you get a TV game, that's just the stress of doing something new and something that you just have to set, step forward and prove to everybody and yourself that yes, you can take that step and you can do good at this. So that obviously is nervousness. Uh, TV games are a tiny bit different from uh, games on the outside table from technical perspective, I'd say. I think we might get into that topic later as well. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the nervousness, I was quite lucky in the way that because I was working for a big broadcaster, the fact that it was broadcasted was not that much more nervousness for me personally because I was already exposed to a large audience before so that was not the cause for nervousness but that taking another step that this is now something bigger than I was doing before obviously yeah that that is a adrenaline rush but but you gotta like it I was gonna ask so, so that's from your career in, in journalism beforehand the broadcasting um we'll come back to refereeing but I was gonna ask what were you doing there? Were you on TV? Were you writing? I was on the radio, so I was a radio sports journalist. Um, so we were doing sports and I was doing everything. So I started as a reporter, then I was uh, the sports news presenter. Uh, we had also a radio show that was every Sunday. It was a weekly radio sports show and I was uh, uh, a producer of that show. Oh. So and yeah, and, and you covered snooker in that, in that role as well? Yes, I did. So, so you, in a way, it seems like it was good preparation for what you went on to do, that you had all these different sort of roles already. You're, you're obviously already immersing yourself in the game. And I guess, would you recommend that for other referees that go into it, that they get that kind of grounding if they can? Uh, as I said, I think it's very different for each referee, how they got to where they are. Uh, we don't have other referees that are journalists as well, or they started the same route, but uh, some of our referees uh, were good players. Uh, so they were playing th themselves or they were refereeing for a longer time on an amateur level and they moved professional. You would have to have basically, I think, everyone else on the tour that is a referee and each one of us would have a different story. But for me, that was, that was purely love of sports that evolved into love of specifically snooker. Hmm. I think I've got to ask this, this question a bit carefully, but it, when I was growing up, and Phil, I'm sure many of us as well, we tended to see male referees, and it was seen as a very male-dominated environment. Now, obviously, we have many female referees now, and that's absolutely brilliant. But what was it like, certainly initially, going into a world that was, you know, in many ways quite male-dominated? To me, it was no different. So uh, the referee is a referee, whether it's a female or whether it's a male referee. And again, from my personal experience, I've always worked in environments that are perceived as male dominated. So obviously sports journalism, male dominated, 
as you said, snooker is perceived like this. I now work uh, in a role that is uh, also in broadcasting and I work in the technology department, which is also perceived as something that will be male dominated. Uh, I just I just don't really see the difference. You do what you love and it doesn't really matter uh, whether you're female or male. And if you do your job great, then, then you're gonna be good. That's also not something that is related to uh, your sex, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned your other job you're doing now. How much time can you dedicate to refereeing and how much time are you working outside? <laughs> um, well, basically all my holiday days. <laughs> wow, really? I'm dedicated to snooker, yes, yes. And that shows the great love of the game. That's, I mean, many people wouldn't call that a holiday, going and refereeing snooker matches. <laughs> well, uh, I do get a lot of a lot of questions like, when do you actually when do you actually rest if your holidays are okay. spent at your uh, basically at your other job? But it's it's completely different. I I love snooker so much that it's maybe not a holiday, but it's something that I like doing. I also am a very active person, so I don't do holidays anyway. That would be just lying on the beach for a week because mm -hmm. I would probably be extremely bored. So um, my rest is always active. So snooker is is um, is what i'm happy to sacrifice all of my leave days for if i need to it, is it possible to make a living just as a referee do, do, do a few do that do they do other things or mo most of you seem to do it kind of on an ad hoc basis in a way is that how it works it again depends so uh, each one of us uh, is is I would say different in the path both in refereeing and in, in other uh, other roles there's no one simple yes or no with me I have a full-time job and I referee um, where I can basically others might not they obviously there are a couple of referees that are full-time because they 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 have been there so long they are assessors as well so they teach the young referees but then Again, each referee is a different case. And sort of going to things on the table, um, what, what's sort of the strangest thing that's ever come up in a match that maybe you thought that you had to think twice about, oh, I've not seen this before, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do in that situation, maybe? I didn't have a situation when I, uh, like when my mind went blank and I didn't know what to do, but I had one that was very unusual and I've never seen it before and I've never seen it since, and I don't think I've seen it on TV. So I was refereeing, I think that was Kyron Wilson again, Matthew Stevens. And there was a foul made when the red stood on the, on the cushion. So sometimes they jump out of the pocket and then they roll on the cushion and drop into the different pocket. And the ball just went dead on the, <laughs> on the cushion outside of the bed of the table. So that was an interesting foul effectively because that that's what it is if it comes to rest outside of the bed of the table and there was a red so yeah so so that was that was unusual one and i think that was the one that was also picked up quite widely like what happened there but well the rule is a rule so <laughs> it yeah. was not a very difficult call it was just something that you don't get to do every day no i don't think i've ever seen that in a game no, no, not, that is an unusual one. But of course, what comes to my mind now is you had a very unusual situation last year, didn't you, with your first ranking final? Because we've, of course, got very used now to crowds um, not being there, sadly, coming back soon, God willing. But at that time, it was 
a very unusual situation. I remember watching it well on television and I thought everyone conducted themselves brilliantly. It was a wonderful advert for snooker. But what was it like for you being out there knowing that this was a, bit, a big final on television with nobody there? Well, that was, a, that was well, as you say, interesting one because I, I haven't thought about this for a while that we got used to not having crowds. But yeah, you're right. So that was the first tournament when we, throughout the tournament, went from capacity crowd to no crowd at all at the, at the final. It was a very unusual time, I think, worldwide, not just with the snooker. So obviously it's not ideal, uh, as I'm sure many players would say, that it's just a different atmosphere. And back then we obviously did not have a clapping effect or anything to make that atmosphere sort of be represented at least for for the viewers on the tv uh, yeah. it was it was strange especially because that was the the first time when there's a like brilliant pot or brilliant shot and you expect in your mind you expect that crowd to go very very loud and and it wasn't there but since then we've done so many events like this that i kind of don't even remember that feeling i was obviously very focused because that was my first final and Funny enough, because it was my first final, I cannot tell you how is that compared to referring the final with the full capacity mm. crowd because I haven't had the pleasure yet. <laughs> Are you as desperate as, as the players and virtually everyone else in the snooker community for the crowds to come back? Well, we play, well, we play. I don't play, but we, 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 we basically are there for the people to watch. So sport is an entertainment. So it's just not the same without the public being there it's part of the sport so it's not just players not just referees not just officials or crews like the fans are part of the game so we are really looking forward to having them back has it felt easier or more difficult or just different without crowds there to me it was just different because mm. mm, uh, well for for the referee i guess the only thing that is maybe not easier but very different is that you don't have to control the crowd so mm. this this thing that it, it is less there to to do, but it that doesn't doesn't really make any difference whatsoever. Other than that, uh, in terms of my focus, I have to be focused. It's just one one less thing to focus on. But but yeah, it's it, it's it's just different. And mm -hmm. the crowds being there just gives you that boost of the atmosphere. So this is what we we long for. Yeah. Have you ever had a problem, um, a serious problem to deal with the crowd? Because people don't think about when officials, obviously you've got so much to think about on the table, but obviously a rowdy crowd, if, if you've got one, it can be a serious problem. I haven't. In my, in my experience, I haven't struggled at any point with anyone being particularly noisy or unpleasant or anything like this. It was, it was all pretty smooth sailing. Obviously, you, you sometimes have, have to... Sadly, put a put put a stop to a ovation for when there's another shot being played. But there was nothing that I remember that was particularly difficult. Not for me, no. Good. Well, that's good. And we've actually got a, a question on later on. I I thought I might do it then, but actually, we'll leave the, all the questions till later. But that, there's one that sort of ties in with that quite nicely. Uh, Monica, sorry, this it comes across as a sort of simplistic question, but what are your main duties? say half an hour an hour before the match what, what do you have to do you know to to get the table ready and to sort of ensure the conditions are right for the match so uh, we get obviously the match uh, allocated to yourself uh, and you get the match protocol 
uh, an allocated table. And that's usually when half an hour before the game, you will go and set up your table, check the equipment with uh, obviously different uh, sanitize, sanitary requirements during the COVID times. We also had to sanitize the equipment, check if everything is in place. Uh, and then you set the balls half an hour before, go and find your players, tell them that you're the referee tell them what's the table and where would they be meeting you. So that is the usual routine of the referee right before Ooh. the game. Have you Sometimes... ever struggled, struggled to find the player? Have they ever not been where you thought they would be? <laughs> Sometimes happens, but no, usually <laughs> usually, usually you, you know where everybody is uh, or you make sure that you know where everybody is and <laughs> make sure that they know where you are as well. So, so, so no. <laughs> It's so good. This sort of ties into my previous question about the crowds, but I don't know if you have you refed at the shootout before. I did ref at the shootout, yes. Yeah, and obviously the crowds, but also I imagine it's just much more chaotic for like the question Nick just asked, setting things up and knowing where people are. Is it is it just a bit manic? Uh, so shootout is a completely different uh, different event from everything else. Everything is faster. Uh, obviously and everything is a bit louder and everything happens a lot more quicker and also you have to be very much thinking about the fact that the rules are a bit different yeah. during the shootout as well so yeah shootout i would say is a different experience for for both referees players everyone involved including the crowd because they can be very loud which is not allowed at the normal game so so it's, it's a very very different experience indeed is it fun now, or just different? Sound like a, a nice way of saying not that fun. <laughs> no, it, it is fun, and it is genuinely fun to watch. You just have to really think on your feet yeah. with with this one, purely because it's just something that you are not that used to. Of course. Both when you are a player and referee, I guess. <laughs> well, one thing that's just come to me is you often see players asking referees, say at the interval. Uh, would you have to tell them, oh, it's 15, 20 minutes? I always think, well, surely they must know this by now, but they always seem to be asking you something. But is that just a politeness thing? You're saying, chaps, we're back here in 20 minutes, please? Uh, well, I have to tell them the time that we're meeting. So that's why I always have to have that interaction because it's based on my watch, basically. So every time there is an interval, I tell them, well, 15 minutes is going to be 20 past and whatever past, and we meet there and there. So that's, that's usually the interval conversation. That makes yeah, sense. It, it always sounds very specific. It's always sort of 13 minutes past eight or something. It's very sort of on the, on the minute, isn't it? Yes, we do try to be very accurate yeah. with the timings. <laughs> well, I guess you need to be for TV. I, I'm interested, again, a little bit about the, the, the nervousness that you mentioned that you have and all referees must have. How, how do you deal with that? Is that like a nervousness for anything in life? You, you get better with experience? You know, how, how do you kind of have to calm yourself and get yourself in the right place when you're ultimately performing in front of a lot of people and on television? Well, I can again only speak for myself because I guess everybody process stress and adrenaline differently. To me, it definitely helps having more experience. So each time uh, you, you never not get nervous, although maybe maybe sometimes it's not, not nervousness because nervousness sounds like something negative. Uh, it's more that rush of the adrenaline when you're starting the game. I will, I think I will always have the buzz. It's like little butterflies in your stomach when you just know that you're going to start a game in a moment. But uh, yeah, the, the 
I think that to me it does get easier with experience, obviously, as everything in life does, the more time you do it. Uh, but I'm just, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be becoming like a routine for me. I will always have that like nice feeling that the, the game is coming, which is, I think, I think is great. But as, uh, as I say, I can only speak for myself. I think everybody else is a bit different when it comes to stressful events or non-stressful, maybe. Maybe not everyone needs to actually battle any any stress, but yeah, adrenaline is definitely something something that gives you the the, the buzz before the game. Has has there been um, a match you've refereed in in like a particularly special atmosphere that really thought got you going before the match in sort of a, the crowd going wild? Well, I think there was a special atmosphere as in lack of it, as, as Neil said, that was the Gibraltar Open final because there was a final in a complete silence. So that was the, the opposite of what you mentioned. Every time you walk out in front of the crowd, it's a standing ovation. Uh, it's, just, it's just the best. I have not had the pleasure yet of refereeing in a crucible. Um, so I, I imagine that must be some experience. I've had crucible though, because I was there as a journalist before. So that is, that is just something different. Have you refed at the German Masters? Because everyone always says how good that is. I oh yeah, I did. I did referee the German Masters. So Tempo Drum and the German audience, that really that really stays with you too. Mm. I mean that, that's a question I kind of wanted to ask, which it's probably the right time to ask you now. You kind of already suggested you haven't done the crucible. I know you haven't done the masters as well. I, I guess referees are like players. You want to be at the biggest stages, and the, the crucible must be that kind of I imagine that. That, that one you just can't wait to do one day. You will, won't you? <laughs> That's not a question for me, but yes, that <laughs> is definitely everyone, uh, everyone's dream. Players, referees, what you want to do is you you want to be at the heart of the snooker, so you really, really want to ref a crucible and get to the final. This is the dream of everyone. How, how long before say, I know you've done the UK Championship, you've done the Tour Championship, the German Masters. How long before those events do you know, oh, I'm down to do that? That all depends. I can't give you one answer because that's different. With circumstances, with the season, I guess, it's not, not a, like, I cannot tell you, like, I always know two months before the event. I always know a half a year before an event. It, it, it's different every time. Mm-hmm. And and with the ultimate aim of the World Championship final, what what do you have to do? do what what are the steps in your career that will will get you there? You have to work hard, mm-hmm. and you have to be good. <laughs> Simple then, as that. <laughs> yes, that's that's. I think that's 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 it. And you have to be patient as well, because you have to be really good to get into the crucible, and you have to trust your teachers that they know when is the right time for you. So mm-hmm. all you got to do is just give your 300% every game that you're in. And if you know, hard work always pays off. Yeah. And I mean, this is, seems a very simple question as well. And there's obvious answers, I'm sure. But what, what are the qualities that, may, that make you a good referee? If you had to name th- a handful of qualities. Oh, I again don't know if that's a question for me, but I think what every referee should have is a good memory, good focus uh, skills, and you just have to be able to stand your ground. Ooh. So that those would be the, the three that I think are qu- 
quite important. But if, if this is what makes me a good referee, I don't know because I cannot assess myself that well. But that definitely is something that, that helps refereeing in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a, a lot of us probably have lots of reasons why we know we can't be referees. And I think I might have said on this podcast before that it's one of those things I definitely know I couldn't do. And for me, it's the, I think it's a concentration and focus thing. To have that for hour upon hour, I, I think is is kind of staggering, actually. Um, if you think about all the things that happen during a frame, I mean, how do you train yourself? You must have a certain mind anyway to maintain that focus. I think it's it's about having that mind. So I don't think I ever have to train myself specifically to focus. I'm generally good at focusing. Obviously, everybody has a different day when, when your mind might be a bit off but as a general mind mind quality i would say it again comes with an experience when you when you know what to focus on in a particular moment but then you just do it automatically mm. the game starts and the world disappears all all there is 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 the game is the scoreboard is the crowd is your players it's everything that's going on and this is well your life and everything the center of a universe for another couple of hours until the game finishes so i i don't think I've ever had to train myself specifically for this, but you, you do have to maintain focus on the table. That's the main main thing in your mind. Yeah, I think I'm the same as you, Nick. I, I know 100%. It wouldn't be the times where you have to like make a decision. It would be, I would just forget to say the break out loud. There would just be a ball going, I just wouldn't say it. I assume that has never happened to you. <laughs> well... Let me say that it's great that you haven't seen anything like that when I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 Phil has actually led me into something that I've been thinking in my head. Or oh, should I ask this? Should I say this? But I think I'm quite a diplomat in my own way, so I probably can. Now, Marcus said when he was on here, brilliant guest, said quite rightly that modern referees are absolutely brilliant and almost unsung in a way. The consistent level of excellence is something we shouldn't take for granted. But of course, you're human. Of course, you will occasionally make mistakes how do you bounce back from making mistakes how do you put it out of your mind quickly well that is making an assumption that you do put it out of your mind quickly <laughs> <laughs> but obviously i'm joking uh, uh, <laughs> when the game is on you you cannot dwell on something that happened because you will lose focus for another situation and then you're going to make probably more mistakes if you do that so you just have to focus yourself again and then after the game if you actually made one you can talk to your assessor to your teacher to your mentor about what happened what was the cause of it how to avoid that mistake and you learn from it so if you make a mistake that is something that you have to process and just not make the same mistake again if that ever happens but during the game you, you do just have to focus on the game again so as, as much as I think you cannot train it. You just know that the game is going ahead and it's not going to wait for you to process anything. So you have to refocus yourself and whatever you've done, you will have to think about it after the game. But during the game, there's just no place for, for any long self-dwelling, I would say. You mentioned your trainer and um, assessor a couple of times. Do, do you have like one certain mentor on the tour or is there someone always assessing referees performance uh, so obviously we, we have our uh, most experienced referees Jan and Brendan and Paul 
and they are the ones that are that are our teachers so mm -hmm. those are the the referees that we we look up to and they assess our games and do you have to uh, there's obviously exams at the start but do you have to sort of do them every year or once you're on is that is that you qualified forever uh, that depends on the federation as well because okay. uh, we obviously get uh, get the official certificate uh, throughout your each country sort of route or and then you you get the international um, grades as i would say and uh, there are a couple of grades on on there obviously when you i don't know if you actually want to listen to this because it's a quite complex process <laughs> to get through carry on <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so so you have to pass uh, exams for 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 certain grades of the refereeing and then when you are refereeing the professional events that is then based on your performance so you have to be qualified as a referee officially with the governing body which is the uh, WPBSA mm -hmm. or uh, EBSA in in Europe case so that is the exams and then you you maintain that certificate you have to be active member of whichever is your governing body as well. Mm -hmm. mm. And you, you talk then about Jan Bahas, Paul Collier, Brendan Moore, brilliant referees, which of course we've known on the circuit for years, decades, in fact. Would you sometimes actually go to one of them and just say, oh, I've come across this issue and I haven't sort of seen it before. And would you sort of bend their ear and use their experience even beyond your normal ass assessment work? Yes, of course. Of course, I think as as a referee, when we all say that, and I think that it's what you said about the game we love, that it might be a cliche or something like this, but it actually does work like this, that we are just a big family. So as, mm -hmm. as with the family, we very often meet out after hours and we still talk about snooker. <laughs> so it's just incurable, I think. So yeah, like, they, are, they are always available for us if we, if we want to have a chat or discuss a certain situation. Uh, in the more refereeing matter in terms of like what's the interpretation uh, what happened there what, what's the rule so so they are also always thinking about this and yes they are always available for us to have that conversation if you have any doubts or you have any questions that's how you actually get better the, the whole thing about the snooker family I think, I think people feel that as fans and all levels of the game um, going back to the start, when you first came in, you said it was fairly rare to be in snooker where you were from. Did you feel that snooker, sort of snooker family vibe quite early on? Did that help you get into the game? Yeah, definitely. That is just looks like you entering this wonderful world full of people that you just want to spend more time with and they love snooker as much as you do, which is not that common, especially mm. if you come from where I did. So that was a whole new experience to me that someone can actually talk and listen and watch snooker and still be so passionate about it as much as I do. So that I think that is something that is a very strong connection and one of the ones that keeps us as a family together, I would say. And, and you, you do seem to have a great camaraderie. I mean, I've been to uh, many, many events and it, it's not dissimilar from journalists actually, where there's a certain camaraderie among them, but when you see yourselves, you know, together, and I've seen you sometimes out socially, 
you, you do have a great time together, the referees, don't you? You are your own band of people. And, um, you know, and that's always heartening to see. And that, I guess that must be a great part of going to events for you. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you, you know, I've been refereeing professionally for seven years now and you just can't wait to see those people. That's part of the reasons why we love it so much. You just go and apart from being involved in the game you love, you actually get to see your friends. So that is definitely something that is is great about snooker and, and the people that work on the snooker. It's not only just referees, obviously it's the event management, tournament officers, all the uh, TV crews, uh, everybody that works uh, with us on the events. We are quite, I think, as you said, sociable bunch as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that, that, that's additional thing to love about snooker. Is the people. I just have a couple of questions about specific sort of events in matches. Um, it's come up a couple of times in over last season. It was at the World Championships, actually. Um, a ref sort of telling a player um, he's taking too long over a shot. Um, have you ever had to do that? And is that something that you want to see more of, or, or it's sort of it's, it's not a problem? Well, it's in the rule book. So if if you think that you have to step in because the rule has been broken then this is what you have to do so this is how the rule is and we are there to referee so what does the rule say on that is there a specific amount of time uh, there's no specific amount of time in the rule book uh, it's uh, you know about about the conduct really so mm-hmm. that is i guess from the outside might be just difficult to judge but when you are in a, in a position when you're refereeing and you are in the game, you're observing the game, you have to make that call. Sometimes it's a tough one, of course, but this is something that we, we need to just look look after as well. Sure. Have you had to do it before? Because you don't see it very often, really. I think you see it more and more now. I, I can't judge because obviously I don't watch all of the games, but um, yeah, I, I did have to do that as well. I mean, have to do that. It happened in one of my games. Or more than one one game is probably just just the wrong phrase I've used, but yes, of, of course. This is another situation that I was talking to a friend of mine who um, covers tennis, and um, I mentioned about doing this podcast, and he wanted to know because in tennis they snap their rackets all the time when they get angry, mm-hmm. and he said, "What happens in snooker when you when they snap their cues?" And I had to tell him that snooker players don't snap their cues. They're not like tennis players. <laughs> he said, well, they must. I was like, well, no, no, they keep control themselves. But what would happen in a match if a snooker player did just snap his cue? I mean, if he would snap his cue, then he would not have a cue to play with, which would be putting himself in a difficult situation. Yes. But uh, generally ungentlemanly conduct, especially one that is noisy, is also in the rule book. So that's something we also are policing uh, in terms of making sure that everything is in order, but I, I actually I have not seen the player smash his cue during the during the game. Indeed, because that would just mean that he doesn't have anything to play with. So, <laughs> would there be a sort of period of time where he could go and find one if he had to? I think if we ever get to that situation, we will find out because I cannot <laughs> really imagine anyone doing this. I think with with the players, I don't I don't know how many players you've spoken to on your podcast about specifically their cues but I think they are very also I, I don't know it's like a wizard's wand in, in yeah. a way so so 
it, it would be it would be probably something very unusual to see if that would ever happen. It's true. <laughs> it's only two weeks, isn't it, Phil, since since Sean Murphy used that lovely line about Harry Potter. It was like Harry Potter lending him his wand with those filthy yeah. darts, isn't it? It reminds <laughs> me of that. Didn't Graham Dot once smash his cue famously? I'm sure he... Uh, I'm sure there was a story of him stopping at a service station and, 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 and trying to smash his queue. Oh, yes. I'm sure honest. some have been smashed, but not during matches. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good story for us if they did. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, hold the back page. Uh, and, uh, Monica, one that comes to my mind, actually. Um, be honest now. Does your heart sink when players smash the balls all over the place, make a foul, and then the other guy says put the balls back it's a miss put it back do you say oh my god that's the last thing i ever wanted to see no, no. <laughs> i mean you never say oh my god this is not what i wanted to see <laughs> uh, well if it does happen and you do need to put the balls back then you do need to put the balls back it's just part of the refereeing so you need to be prepared for this and we know that it can happen and it happens very often i would say that you just have to put them balls where they were. <laughs> Part of the job. You, you talk as excellently as you referee, Monarchy, you really do. Um, Phil, have we got any more to ask ourselves for now as we move on to our, to our, to our listener questions? Um, yeah, we can go to the listeners, I think. I think it's time to, to rattle on through those. And we have John on Twitter, a very general one here. Um, what are the best and worst aspects of being a referee, John wants to know? Interesting what you mean by the worst aspect. Uh, do you mean the what, what is the most difficult thing for me or what the worst I think in general? I don't think there's anything bad because uh, obviously I, I love doing this. So, so to me, there's nothing that would say it's the worst part of the refereeing. It does require obviously a lot of your time, your focus, a lot of dedication, especially when you're starting uh, to ref. And what's the best part is I think it's a, easiest question ever the best part is obviously that you get to be this close to the game you love well, nothing really beats that we've never had more validation for the phrase at the top of the show have we phil this is it's great yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thanks for answering that we can now have snooker loopy um well we we kind of already uh, answered this but I'll sit in a slightly different way how difficult is it to just completely focus on your refereeing duties and not allow your mind to think about how badly someone is playing or how good that pot was etc nothing but admiration for the way you do it I certainly couldn't so again it's that focus question which you kind of suggested before but yeah is there time for you to admire a great bit of snooker or you're like no that's not my worry referee is my concern well um i would say that i'm there to referee i'm not there to judge whether someone is playing bad or not but obviously if you are in the middle of uh, the game and there's a great pot you can still think that it's a great pot or that the, there's a wonderful break or that the game is amazing and it doesn't stop you to focus because it, you're still thinking about the game you're in the game you still watch the shot you count the points you just have to have so many things in your mind and one of those things can be like oh my god that was a great shot obviously you won't say it out loud but sometimes you just you 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 just see it you you just witness it and you know you're there so 
I don't think you can switch off that thoughts and you, you shouldn't because if you're a part of a wonderful game, that is also something amazing. Am I right in saying that um, you refed a 147 in your first ever pro tournament? Yeah, that was that was that was the case. That was Sean Murphy's one for seven in Gdynia 2014. Oh, wow. So, in, in that respect, was that was that a difficult one to get to that so early? Uh, well, yes, <laughs> that, was quite, <laughs> that, that was quite an event, especially as as you said, that was my absolute first one. I did not uh, expect such a great thing to happen. Uh, I would be lying if I said I was I wasn't excited. I was very excited to see <laughs> to referee my first one for seven. Obviously, it it always is a special moment when you watch, when you play, when you referee, when you're at the tournament. It it's 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 pure snooker magic. So so yeah, that that was that was great to referee that in the first event, and still it's my only one that I've ref since. <laughs> I was going to say you must have thought that would happen all the time from that when it was the first one. Was that your only one? Wow. <laughs> that was my only one, yeah. I, I referred a few attempts, but uh, that's still my only one for seven that I refed. And, it, and it's kind of the custom for the referee to kind of say, well done, Sean, isn't it, at a moment like that, I think. You don't just say one for seven, Sean Murphy in the frame. Normally you'd say well done, wouldn't you? What did you say? Do you remember? Uh, I think I said congratulations, yeah, but it, it's quite natural. It is an yeah. achievement. One for seven is snooker perfection, so it's it's perfectly normal to to you know congratulate the player for this. The opponents congratulate them as well. Sometimes players from the other tables say well done as well because that that is something that obviously brings us together. If there's anyone on the uh, tables around it, they they usually will stop their play and come and see as well. So, yeah, it is an event. Of course. Uh, next one from Dan Cooper on Twitter. Um, to me, Ronnie's record 147 time will never be beaten due to the modern style of refereeing. I mean, far be it for me to counter our, our, our listeners, but I think it's probably never going to be beaten because it's never going to be beaten because it's it was so extraordinary. But anyway, putting that aside, Dan says, look at how quickly Len Ganley kept up with the pace. Current referees seem to have to get behind the player before their next shot. Why? Surely they just need to be stood still. Where should you be stood? Well, you should be stood as much out of the line of the sight of the player as you can, generally, to not disturb the game. Uh, but that, that is how you read the game and how you move around the table. So I kind of, I can't really say anything about modern style of refereeing versus old style of refereeing because all I know is modern style of refereeing because I haven't been refereeing for for that long or I have not been studying snooker refereeing from like uh, 10 years ago enough to actually have 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 a say I think I think it's a weird one I, we all try to be as quick as possible so I've never thought about this that if I would be standing standing in the same place I would be quicker it's, it's just we want to be as out of the line of the site as possible. Mm -hmm. And as quickly and as possible, obviously. It's just yeah, about it... finding your tempo around the table. So, so, so that's something that is reading the game and feeling it, I guess. And the second point from this, uh, this listener was um, about technology and sort of how you've got it slightly easier than old people, older referees because you have the... You can look at the monitors and help you get the balls put back. Are you um, 
are you glad that's there? Do you sort of imagine, like Nick said before, when the balls get smashed all over the place and have to be put back, imagine doing that without uh, the help of technology? Although I suppose on certain tables, you don't have the technology helping you. I would say that on most of the tables, you don't have technology helping you on the on on the normal events. Uh, obviously, when it's not like one table set up or only TV tables, uh, you have to rely on your own brain. So mm. even if you are on a TV table, you don't rely on technology. You have to rely on you remembering where the balls were. Sometimes it just matters whether it's in millimeters as well. So you just have to always know where the balls were to as good as you can. So I don't I don't think we think about it. We 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 focus on every shot as it, as you wouldn't have a technology. It's obviously a bonus mm. because you can double check or anything that obviously helps if you have a possibility like this. But as you said, that's not in every game and it's not at every table. And then you will still find yourself uh, refereeing in the club and you still have to remember mm. what the shot was. Yeah, and, and, and George Wayham, who we, who we now class as a friend of the podcast. Thank you so much for your excellent appearance, George, last week. We really enjoyed that. We had a lot of compliments about you as well. So thank you for that. He says a couple of things. A quick opinion I'd like your view on. I think referees have it easier than the older referees since technology has come in. I understand this is only for TV tables, so they have to focus 95% of the time. And obviously it's the way sport as a whole works but it does slightly gripe on me that referees now have a monitor to see where the balls go back after a foul and miss, uh, but uh, therefore don't have to properly concentrate where the balls were in the first place as they help have the help via technology. But you would still concentrate on where the balls are to some extent, wouldn't you, I would say, as you've already suggested? You always concentrate 100% whether you have technology or not. Mm. And actually, I'd like to say some other things that George says here. Uh, talks about getting very friendly with a referee called Colin Brinded, who I, I certainly remember, uh, a fine referee uh, from the past, and said he, he was a wonderful man. He used to get me backstage at the Norbrecht Castle, and uh, he officiated the world final in 1999. Uh, sadly, Colin died of cancer in 2005. I went to his funeral in his hometown of Great Yarmouth. Uh, George says, I'm bringing up Colin, not only because he was such a kind, gentle man and a brilliant referee, but the way he handled the crowd was different to how any referee has, has officiated since. You would never hear Colin's voice. I don't really remember this, but we'll take George's word for it, certainly. You never hear Colin's voice to quiet in a crowd. No settle down, please, or as quietly as you can, please. He would just raise his hand and it worked. Again, I guess, Monica, everyone has different styles. There's no, you know, specific way of doing it. But um, would you have to have a certain sort of um, intonation in your voice? You'd have to raise your voice a bit yourself, quiet down now, please. But you've already said you, you haven't found that very hard so far. Uh, I've never thought about what's the technique about handling the crowd. It depends. Obviously, if a player is on a shot, you cannot shout then. You will raise your hand as well and hope the crowd will... will just look at you and, and, and do that. But uh, there's no specific technique, I guess. It's just finding yourself in a situation and what will work best in that particular situation. If it's a large crowd, sometimes you will say, settle down, please. Sometimes you will just raise your hand. And there's no, I think, one simple answer. You just have to be in that moment and make a decision on what's going to actually help. I suppose that's all, like you said before, it's all experience and things things will just 
you'll just naturally do things without really thinking, won't you, in certain situations? Yes, indeed. I I I think that's it. Uh, definitely. Also, it depends on the venue, I guess. Uh, in some venues, even if you raise your voice, you won't be heard because the venue is so big. Hmm. Some venues are smaller. It all depends on the game. You, you what, what I wanted to sorry, have we, have we, I don't know if we're answering listening questions yet, but one more I wanted to ask was, um, and you may well not have one, but if there was any rule you could tweak or change a bit or bring in a new rule, is there anything in your mind about that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think there is anything I would like to say about this at this particular moment. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that might be the answer, but I thought I'd ask. One that comes to my mind, things are so, there's so many aspects of snooker that things are naturally, I've got a few things scribbled down, I don't know like Phil has, but things come to me. The, the, the re-rack situation now, it, it, it seems to come a lot, lot quicker than, than it used to. I mean, um, have you ever had a problem with that? Or, or most of the players seem to agree now, don't they? And it seems to happen sort of quicker than ever. Um. I've never had a problem with this. That usually is a is a uh, unanimous decision, and it's just you know, you you, you sometimes you just know it's coming, mm. and they just look at each other and they're like, yes, please. But that depends on the game. I've personally never had any any discussions, any problems with rerucks. It's it's always quite obvious that we're getting into one. And I know you mentioned earlier, we, we probably will come back to the technical side. I mean, we probably should with, with regard to TV tables and non-TV. Would, would one of the main differences be the camera camera people, the camera operatives? I mean, I, I, the, the event I probably go to most is the Crucible. And I'm always, I find myself kind of fixated by those camera people. They're absolutely brilliant at the way they, they move around sort of stealthily, but always having the right sort of angle on the shot. But I wonder what, are they a nuisance for you or do you get used to them or is that just an extra worry for you when you're doing a TV match? Uh, that's, I would never call it a worry. It's just the setup and we have to work together as a team to make sure everything goes smoothly. But as you said, they're absolutely brilliant. You, you forget that they are there at most of the times. It was just comes in naturally. It's like I always, when I was going as a journalist, I always loved that sort of dance between the referee and the cameras and I still love it as a referee as well I think we are blessed with a really great crews as well so so that is something obviously that you need to be aware of as your surroundings as a referee so that's the difference when you are on a tv table the other one is that on the outside tables what you might see is uh, you don't have your marker referee so you would be doing your scoring yourself as a ref as well so that probably from technical perspective is the biggest difference whether you're on tv table or not is that much harder then or are you just quite used to that now uh you just get used to it it's just something that that you do one of one of your responsibilities yeah. i think it's nice how you described it as the dance there between because it's almost it is quite arty what the, the cameramen are doing and then when the refs come around and I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast has been to see live snooker before. But that's just one of the extra bonuses you get when you go and see a, a match live that you would never notice on the TV, obviously, because they're behind the cameras. But yeah, just an interesting little bit. Yeah, that that's that's very true. I, I was always pointing that when I was still just a spectator on a snooker, I found that fascinating. Mm. And it, I, I think yeah, that that works. That was great because, as I said, you are just a team. It's it, it's 
you are not individuals. You have to make sure that the game goes as smoothly as possible from all sides. And that's something that we just need to focus on as well. Mm-hmm. You... Another thing that comes to me as well is that you often hear players say, um, maybe they've won a big tournament or they've just performed on, on television for the first time. They suddenly see a massive you know, upturn in who recognises them outside. It's obviously not going to be quite, quite as much for a referee, but does anyone ever recognise you and say, didn't I see you referee on the television last night? I mean, uh, not as much with me. I guess the, 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 the guys that are obviously uh, doing that for a lot longer than I do, they do get recognised very easily. Uh, I think that's also sometimes the case where you are. So if the people are already snooker-minded, they will recognize you because they watch snooker a lot. And if you would be like walking around Sheffield, they are also prepared to see people involved with the snooker. So their minds are, I would say, a bit more wired to it. Uh, but yeah, it sometimes happens. Sometimes that is always very nice when someone recognizes you. But but yeah, we are we are not the faces of the game generally. So it's a bit different. <laughs> and do people want your autograph at the Crucible? And uh, no, you not, not the Crucible, but other, other big events like the like the UK. Would they would they ask for your autograph after the game? It does sometimes happen, yes, and and it's and it's very sweet indeed. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So, so what, when will we see you um, this season? Do you do you have like? I mean, Nick actually actually has a similar question earlier, but do you have a calendar in place for the next few months or for the whole year? Uh, I don't. I don't know uh, anything yet myself. Uh, to be fair, I think it still depends on a lot of things. We are in a very uncertain times in terms of what's going to happen with any regulations about our sports. So I'm. I'm sure as soon as everything is settled, we will. We will hear about this. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Um, I think we we probably covered most things but I think the quite polite thing to do is to ask you Monica is there anything that you feel we might have left out that you'd like to particularly get off your chest to to tell uh, the listeners about maybe one thing we have some people write to us sometimes that are doing refereeing courses if someone was sort of thinking about it maybe listening to this thinking I'm not sure I quite like it what what kind of words would you give them maybe as encouragement or you know obviously you'd recommend it wouldn't you Obviously, I would recommend it, yes. And if you're thinking about it already, that is something that you might have tried. Let's do it. Come and try. It's never hurting to try something new, especially if that's something you think you might might be interested in. If you don't like it when you when you do it, that's also fine. But you've tried and you've seen for yourself. I obviously love refereeing, so I might be very biased <laughs> in my opinions about it. But yeah, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about that to just give it a go it might be the best thing you've done in your life and I mean referees don't seem to do it for like five ten years the ones I've known throughout all my life they all seem to do it forever you know until they sort of retire or we, we sadly lose them so you know there must be something in it and I, and I guess you see your future as long long term do you in the in the sport doing what you love doing well I'd like to I'd like to think that that's the case yes <laughs> And uh, well, I think we we might say, Phil, that uh, Monica, we, we don't want to keep Monica for, for for the rest of the evening, do we? We might just say, you know, we are we are so grateful for you joining us, and you, you've given us a real insight here into into what is a very special, integral part of the game. And uh, will you come back and see us again one day? 
to be fair, if it comes to snooker, I can, I can talk for hours. If there's <laughs> talking to people as equally passionate about snooker as I am liking it, that's just, there's no better topic, really. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I mean, the, we've mentioned the world love of the game a lot in this in this episode, and it couldn't have come across more clearly. And, uh, yeah, I think all sports are blessed with people who are obsessed with it, really, and that's how it keeps it running. But snooker, as much as any, and... Uh, uh, it's brilliant how much you are you are in love with it. Well, that's one 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 of those things that if you wouldn't love it, you probably would not be doing it. Mm. So I, I think that's what's common for all all of us referees. I don't think you will ever find a referee if you interview more of more of the refereeing crew that will say anything different <laughs> than I did yeah. about the love for sports. So. It would be a strange thing to do with your time if you didn't like if you didn't like the game. <laughs> that is an opinion that I very often very often hear from my friends. I was like, you would not be doing this if you wouldn't love it. And yeah. I, f- I think that's fair. You should should really aim to do a lot of things in your life for this particular reason. But yeah, yeah, snooker is definitely something that that passion helps doing. Absolutely. Well, I can guarantee we will definitely have more referees on the, on on this podcast because I know that fans love hearing from them and, and love, love finding out things. I know we found out many things in the last hour or so. So thank you very much indeed, Monica, sincerely. And um, we wish you well for the new season, of course. Thank you very much. And we're looking forward to hopefully having uh, fans and everyone with us this season. If obviously the situation allows us to do it safely. Absolutely. Amen. So say all of us. Uh, Phil, we'll wrap up, but just a, a quick line, of course. We have found out the British Open is um, going to be uh, live on ITV4, mm-hmm. which feels right because it was an ITV event in the 80s and the 90s. So a nice uh, time with snookers past. Uh, short format, though, a uh, best of five until the last 16, uh, best of seven for the quarters and the semis, and best of 11 for the final. Now, I think it's fair to say it hasn't gone down absolutely brilliantly with all snooker fans. Of course, we know that, you know, um, most fans would want to see best of 148 at every tournament and uh, <laughs> play for four weeks, wouldn't they? But, um, but you know, it, it is very short, but uh, it's going to be special uh, despite that. And uh, were you a bit surprised to, hit, to see it was such a short format event coming up? Yeah, I was a little bit. I would have thought it was best of seven at least. Um, and as you say, anything... Even best of sevens aren't that popular with a lot of people. So anything shorter than that was always going to get some sort of adverse reaction. But uh, it's not made me look forward to it any less. I'm still really up for it. Um, But yeah, I think in general, people want to see matches a bit longer. But we'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be a great start to the season anyway. It is, And it means more snooker now in terms of events on ITV and the BBC, which has come out of almost Mm. nothing. Well, I say nothing. I mean, it's probably getting on for about a decade now since ITV returned. But... But that's always great because they have such a great team, passionate team. BBC do their great work as well. But when you know when ITV are covering an event, every single member of that team is a proper, proper snooker person. Yeah, they're excellent. Yeah, and at Eurosport, um, no, no, no negatives to say about any of those guys. So, uh, yeah, no, it's good news. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure I'll be re- everyone will be raring to go. Um, bit of history behind it. I said last week I'd spoken to Dean Young, who... I think he was only two years old or something when uh, when the last one was on. So not that much history for older players on the tour now, but the ones who were around then uh, will be very excited, especially. Indeed. 
And uh, not only was I very flippant there, of course, but I made the schoolboy error of coming up with an even number. You can't have best of 148 all, uh, 148, Bill. It could be 74 each. Anyway, um, let's maybe Best of 147 would be quite interesting to see. That would be perfect. That's a, why didn't I go for that? <laughs> I feel like I want to re-record the whole episode now. Because you, you, you <laughs> just I've, wanted I've to... What, I've, what, I've gone white as a sheet. <laughs> 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 Never mind. Uh, I missed a trick there, not, not for the first time. But we will now draw a veil over this episode. But listen, Phil, when we gather next time, how's this for a line? We're going to be talking about actual snooker. We're going to be <laughs> previewing the Championship League, which starts on July the 18th. And we will preview it in the next episode. So we've enjoyed the downtime. Of course, we have. We've had some wonderful guests and great snooker chat. But it's time to get on with the action soon. Yeah, we're really. great football. <laughs> are you only saying that because poland went out so early oh sorry monica we were friends uh that is still too soon nick to mention <laughs> sorry you only hurt the ones you love sometimes but Phil, <laughs> we, we are back with more we are back with actual action next time and we, we'll look forward to that won't we sir yeah absolutely no it's gonna be good um low-key start to the season but i don't mind that in some way eases back in uh, I'm sure there'll be some good snoopers to watch, yeah. We'll see who's been practising in the downtime. <laughs> we certainly will. I'll tell you what, one last thing to leave you with. When we next talk, we'll know who has won Euro 2020. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. say more. We, we will know next time. So that, that's a, a prospect and a half. Keep your thoughts coming to us. Email us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. We've got a lovely nostalgic picture of Alex Higgins up from 1973, which is getting a lot of feedback in the last uh, couple of days. So look out for that. We love putting our nostalgic pictures up and send some to us as well. Any you have from the past you'd like to share, we'd, we'd love to see them. But that's about it for now then for this latest episode of Talking Snooker. We've very much enjoyed your company and we look forward to speaking to you next week. But uh, for now, from Monica, Phil and myself, it's cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.